Yeah, so we've got Christmas coming up. Anyone excited about Christmas? Someone had a very sparkly sort of Christmas-looking hat on in the 9.15 earlier on, but I can't see any. I, I did look down and notice I was wearing Christmas socks at work last week, so I think I'm in the mood early. Um, we, um, we are going to do two Christmas services, our usual one on the Sunday the 17th, but on the 21st we're going to do a traditional carol concert here. So if you'd like to be involved as a singer in that, we'd love to have you. Um, we'll give you instructions of what to do. Um, it'd be helpful if you could hold a tune. <laughs> Otherwise, it might be uh, a little bit uncomfortable for you, all the, all the stairs. But, um, so if you'd like to be involved in that, we'd love to hear from you. So talk to me, talk to Jane. Our details are on Church Suite 2. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Sorry, short deadline by tomorrow, if possible. So, um, yeah, if you could do that, that would be great. Wonderful. Does um, Bill running over mean that I need to take three minutes off my preach? Yes. Yeah. And the seconds. And the seconds. How many seconds? Good. Okay. So, um, as Josephine said, I'm Isaac. I'm one of the team here at Hope Church, and um, I know some of you. I've known some of you for a long time, and some of the new faces. So great to be here with you. And um, yeah, as a church, we're about three things, aren't we? We're about um, Pursuing God, we want to meet with him, we want to be in his presence, we want to go after him wholeheartedly. We're about serving people, we believe we're here to love people the way that Jesus did. As part of a community, we've been talking about that, we've got some community stuff going on, lots of stuff to get stuck into. And we export hope in our, that's what Bill was talking about, in our street, in our city, in our nation, to the nations. And that's what, we're, that's what we're all about. So if you're visiting us today, you might see those words around the building somewhere. That's, that's what we're about. Do talk to us about that. and We'd love to tell you more. Um, it's a bit of a freebie. It's not really what I was talking about this morning. But um, I want to speak to you about something that God's been speaking to me about in a few different contexts for quite a while now, really. Um, and that is influence. Um, so I hope it's going to be something that's, that's helpful for us. Um, so those of you who know me will know that I quite like a dictionary definition. So that's where we're going first. Influence is the capacity to affect the character, development or behaviour of someone or something. So... Props. Willing volunteer. Chris, you looked at me, so you're a willing volunteer. Right. Stand there for me. Right. I want you to, I'm going to throw this. Yeah. I don't want you to catch it. I want you to watch it. Right. Okay. Let's go again. If you're wondering where these are... <laughs> I thought it would be better to do it with one of these rather than one from the pool table because that might be a bit painful if it landed on somebody's toe. Right. I want you to try and catch it or stick your hand out or something. Right. Wonderful. Thank you. Round of applause for volunteer. Good. So, I didn't mean to do that. It's not part of the illustration. I'll pick that up later. So when I threw the ball... On its path, it just kept going. But what happened when Chris intervened? 
it stopped. The path of the ball changed, didn't it? You influenced where it was going. There was a different end result. Um, so, a question for you. Do, you. do you think you have influence? Well, I want to tell you that you absolutely do. Each one of us has something that we, we often describe as a sphere of influence. We go about our daily lives and we come into contact with all sorts of people. And we do all sorts of things together in all sorts of places. Um, each one of us has the opportunity to influence for, for good or bad. So we have a kind of effect on the things around us, even if we're not aware of it. So if I, um, if I walk into the room and I haven't had a wash, people will probably give me a bit of a funny look at best. At worst, maybe lots of people will start leaving the room. Jim singing has the same effect. <laughs> Love you, Jim. <laughs> it's a joyful noise. <laughs> That's an influence, isn't it? It fascinates me how many different things that we do as a group of people in multiple congregations, how many lives that we touch as a family. Have a think about, have a think about how many people that you've met in the last month. Do you think you could... I don't think I could even remember. Could you, anyone remember how many people they've met in the last month? Lots, yeah? Last week... Even the last few days, that's a bit easier. We've got teachers spending time, the classes of kids influencing there. We've got designers making products that make people's lives better. We've got doctors and nurses caring for the sick. We've got people in business generating funds and providing services that people like. We've got retired folk being a listening ear. We've got mums raising little ones. We've got charity workers. Chefs and all the things that I've forgotten. Loads of people that we touch every moment of every day. Um, in all these places where you are each day, the Holy Spirit's with you. He can use you to do extraordinary things in your everyday ordinary. Yeah. So, Bill, uh, a number of years ago, bought a really helpful word to us, which I come back to, well, loads, really. Um, and um, so if you've been with us a while, you may remember this, but um, he was talking about two well-known devices that you'd have in your house um, and the difference between them. There's a thermometer and there's a thermostat. And the thermometer, what does it do? Anyone tell me what a thermometer does? It's not a trick question. It tells you the temperature. It does. It measures the temperature, and it does that by just responding to the environment it's in. And that's all it does. It responds. It gives you a reading. But a thermostat, it doesn't just respond to the environment. It does that, but it allows you to turn the temperature up. It influences the environment that it's in. See, often I'm quite... <coughs> quite often like a thermometer. Um, I kind of measure and observe what's going on around me, but I don't get involved. It's just easier, isn't it? 
Amen. Sit back and watch the world go by. My desire for myself and for all of us is to be a thermostat where we are. I don't want to be someone who just sits and responds. I don't want to be someone who influences where the Holy Spirit's leading. God's called me and each of us to be salt and light. How do I know that? Well, Jesus said, didn't he? In Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, I think it is. Um, Matthew 5.13 for the note takers. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses, has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's easy for you to say. <laughs> it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works, so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let me say this, we're not called to pursue influence for the sake of influence, but we are not called also to hide who we are. It's really important, isn't it? We're meant to be different. We're called to pursue him wholeheartedly, to get hold of what he has for us and what he gives us. And he brings influence, but it's for his glory, not for ours. You see, people notice when we care for the poor. People notice when we feed the hungry. People notice when we provide fluffy socks and Christmas presents for care leavers. People notice when we welcome those from other cultures. People notice in winter when we partner with SWEP and we offer the granary to homeless people as a, as a place to sleep. That's, uh, that's not a normal thing to do in our Western society, is it? Our culture's all about the individual. I'll protect myself so that I'm not in lack. But we know we've got a Father in heaven who provides for our every need. And why? Because he loves us. And, and the funny thing is, he's got all the resources anyway, hasn't he? So we don't need to worry. Um often think, what would it look like if we, we recognise those extraordinary moments in the ordinary day where we can be a thermostat? You see, God's not looking for us to just come to church on a Sunday because, you know, Sunday's a couple of hours a week, isn't it? The real world's out there, where we are on a Monday morning. And I can seem a bit upside down. I, I often had this thing in my head about a ladder of a, of a hierarchy back in the day where, uh, you know, you, you go to school, you do your exams, you do well, uh, maybe you go to university, maybe you start a job and then you get promoted and you start to do really well and then, uh, and then when you get really good, you give it all up and you work for the church. So Jim's really, really good. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Load of rubbish, isn't it? Not that bit. You are really good, Jim. You are really good. We love you. <laughs> I want, to, I want you to just think about your own situation, your own sphere of influence right now. And what would it look like tomorrow morning when you're at work or wherever you are tomorrow? What would it look like if God intervened? What would it look like if you, if you partnered with him and just actively sought an opportunity for kingdom advance? There's that word again, Bill. 
And it's not a pressure, it's, a, it's an invitation and an adventure. Yeah. Um, I just, I've got a real sense of him saying, will you, will you dare to dream with me, Hope Come Church? Come on. Will you dare to respond to my call? Be the ordinary person responding to the Spirit. Bringing those extraordinary moments. What would that look like? Because if we look in the Bible at all the stories of influence, it's really straightforward, isn't it? It always goes well. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Just going to uh, look at a few of them. Joseph. Everybody know the story of Joseph? He starts off as the favoured son of his father, Jacob, and he's, he's got influence over his father, which annoys his brother so much that they try and kill him, or they plot to kill him, and then he gets... Uh, Gets sold off into slavery. This is my 30-second paraphrase, by the way. It's better to read the full one. <laughs> he, gets older, he gets sold off uh, into Potiphar's household. He's the, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And he gains influence there by working hard and being capable. And then he gets falsely accused. It looked like it's going well, and then it, then it doesn't. Then he gets imprisoned. Then he gains influence in prison by interpreting some dreams, which, um, which worked quite well for um, was it the cupbearer. Yeah, worked quite well for the cupbearer, but not so much for the, for the baker. Um, then Pharaoh has a dream, and none of his court understand, and the cupbearer cup remembers Joseph. Um, there's influence there. And not only does Joseph interpret the dream really clearly, that God gives him influence and the wisdom with what to do about it, and... He ends up feeding his family, but an entire nation and the nations around it. Joseph worked hard and diligently on small things and seemingly insignificant things, and God gave him influence. How about Ruth? Everyone know the story of Ruth? She's a Moabite woman who married into a Jewish family, so she was a foreigner. Her husband died, leaving her alone with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's quick to tell her, Naomi, this is, she's quick to tell her to go back home. She doesn't need to stay with her. But Ruth doesn't budge. She refuses to leave. She shows loyalty and devotion in caring for her mother-in-law. She, encourages, she encounters a chap called Boaz, who's a relative, and he's so impressed with her devotion. He goes out of his way to make her life easier. Ruth didn't take the easy way out. She showed compassion and loyalty, even when no one was watching and it was noticed. And Paul. There's um, loads of stories for Paul, isn't there, in the New Testament, because he wrote most of it. But I'll pick, pick one of my favourites from Acts 16. So Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison, preaching the gospel, and they're praying and, um, and singing hymns. I'm not sure... That's what I would be doing, man of faith such as I am. Uh, so they're praying and they're singing. And it says the other prisoners are listening to them. And then this happens. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought they'd escaped. But Paul shouted... Don't harm yourself, we're all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I often think of the big moment of influence in that story as, um, as the earthquake bit. Um, but maybe it was a bit before that. I like the bit where it says that um, when they were praying and singing, the other prisoners were listening and uh, wonder if the jailer was too. It doesn't say he was, but I reckon he might have been. Well, he might have been asleep, actually. Who knows? Um, but they were just praising God, and that brought influence. Just they, they had their eyes fixed on him in that situation. Um, sort of upside-down kingdom influence, isn't it? It's not something that they, something that they planned. It's something that God just did. And, uh, and because of that, this jailer and his family got saved. Um, it's amazing how so often it is upside down. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong. That gives me hope. I want to help ground this by um, telling, telling a few stories of people that are a bit close to home. So people from our various congregations. Um, I think I've asked people's permissions just about. So hopefully there are no surprises if there's anybody in the room that I'm talking about. It's all good stuff. Don't worry. So I'm going to start with myself because I'm a show off. Um, <laughs> so, so I work in IT. Um, I'm a technical account manager in the whole world of networks and I have a customer who's a small private bank uh, and early in the year I sold a project to them which involved a whole load of services from a company called Cisco um, so for those who, who, who don't know they're one of the biggest networking companies in the world they turn over something like 50 billion dollars a year they're, they're huge they basically invented networking uh, so unfortunately as this project begins and starts to progress, it becomes quite clear that the, there's quite a large gap between what they sold and what the customer needs. Um, and it became even more difficult as time went on. And after a lot of escalating and frustrating meetings and all the rest of it, and um, heated phone calls, finally the customer um, just cancelled the order. They said, you know, this, this can't be done. So that, that left me with a fairly significant problem in that our company were now liable for um, a couple of million pounds of costs, which was not a comfortable place to be in, having been the, you know, the big popular guy who just sold the £2 million project, you know, top-of-the-board sales guy. Um, it all came a bit crashing down to earth. Um, so there's, there's, the interesting thing in all this is that the customer relationship was really strong still, and it was just the Cisco in the middle that were, were difficult. So to cut a long story short, a few weeks back I ended up in a meeting with Cisco's UK managing director. So this guy runs multi-billion dollar business. I think he employs something like 85,000 people. He and I don't usually mix in the same circles. <laughs> so it, was, it, was, it was quite uh, strange that the meeting even happened. Um, 
And then we got in this meeting, and I didn't really know what to expect, probably a bit of a, bit of a token apology and defensiveness. And, um, and he started with, I'm really sorry, this was all our fault. How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? <laughs> so I, I'm, in, I'm in London having a meeting with this guy who runs this huge business, and I'm talking to him about truth and honesty and integrity. Now, I didn't do that. I didn't plan that. I couldn't even find the right door to knock on to get there, but he gave me influence, and the customer relationship is still excellent, and they've since agreed to cancel everything without cost. <laughs> and I've still got a job. <laughs> God-given influence. I wasn't looking for that. Um, probably to start with, if you'd asked me, I probably would have rather just delivered the project, but God's taught me something through that. So that was me, but there's some proper heroes living amongst us. Um, so some of you all know Monica in our 915 congregation. She's a doctor. Um, and she's not here, so I can say what I like about her. Um, she is a GP and I think one of the youngest that I've ever heard of becoming a partner in a GP firm and she's really passionate about justice and professionalism and making sure things are done the right way Um, and there's example after example um, I can't share any of them for obvious reasons but um, there's example after example where she has been influencing and talking to people who are by far her senior in a medical profession about the right way to do things um, and making sure that patients are cared for well. Um, so well done, Monica. Keep going. Pete, anyone know Pete Ettridge? Some of you all know him. This is an old story, but it's a good one. So I asked if I could share it again. So Pete works in a company that manufactures uh, packaging products and he managed to persuade his company to donate all the packaging needed to distribute something like two million anti-diarrhea kits to various um, African countries. And um, they were shipped inside packages that were already going there with Coca-Cola bottles. And, and the net result of that, of him being in the right place at the right time, said to his boss, being able to say to his boss, oh, hang on, we've got some spare materials that might just do that, um, meant that they did it for free, it was all donated. Um, so there are, there are parts of Africa, I can't remember which country it is now, where, um, where just sickness and diarrhoea was killing 500,000 kids a year. Now, Pete, from being in a meeting and having that conversation, just saying, hey boss, you know what, we've got that over there, could we use that and just give it for free? Hundreds of thousands of kids have now got that medication. I'll tell you this thing's not just to big these people up because God's granting them influence in what they're doing and the opportunity to speak Jesus into people's lives. It's because they've got hold of what God's calling them to. So where do you have influence? I wonder if you could just, um, because you've been listening to me for a while now, just talk to the person next to you for just a minute. Tell them, What are you going to be doing tomorrow morning? And ask them to pray for influence. Let's just do that now for a minute.
you got a day off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I might get dragged to a shop to look at material. Good. Shall we uh, draw our prayers to a close? Wonderful. It's a dangerous thing to do when you're preaching to tell other people to speak and do something else because, uh, yeah, you wonder whether people will stop talking again afterwards. <laughs> Good stuff. So hopefully um, you feel encouraged as we go out of here today and tomorrow. Hopefully there's confidence that there will be influence in where you are. I just want to touch on something else quickly. Um, interestingly, you mentioned this in the 9.15 this morning. We've had, a, we've had a, a word that we've been living with as a church for a number of years about being an Antioch church. I've been a long, long, long time before I was part of the church. And so it would be familiar to some of you. And um, I think it was something like, 1991 or 1990 that um, this came and uh, the word said that we were going to be called to be a church of influence like the one in Antioch um, which was an equipping equipping church um, where Paul and Barnabas were um, in the book of Acts one where the unsung majority established the work and are the heroes that's what we're talking about isn't it where there is evidence of the grace of God, grace enjoyed in worship and prayer, grace of giving, grace in the gifts of the Spirit, where there's flexible teamwork, um, where there's emphasis on word and spirit, where ministry ripples out. So if you're part of the family here, that's for you. You're on the team. It's not us as a team of elders that do that. It's all of us. You're on the team. You have influence where you are. And it takes all of us. I'm praying that God will continue to give us influence. Each one of us. Let's keep telling stories about the extraordinary moments that he gives us as well. Because it, it builds faith. And we need to sharpen each other. We need to encourage each other. So just as I bring this into land, let's think about what it means for each of us. What can we do? So number one, recognise that you do have influence in your context, whatever that context is. Don't strive for it, but seek to partner with Jesus. 
and expect influence to come. Number two, and this is a big one for me, recognise that apathy is an absolute killer. What if we made it our mission to just root that out? It's a real killer. I could preach a whole talk on that, but I won't. Number three, look for opportunities to shape culture in your context. To be that, that thermostat that we were talking about. Could you be the only cheerful one on a Monday morning? That's a challenge, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> you could be cheerful today, that's all right, Jim. <laughs> could you be the only one who is in a conversation to listen? rather than to just reply. Could you be the only one who asks, how are you, and really means it? That's <coughs> countercultural, isn't it? Number four, don't try and do it on your own. It's flipping hard work. <laughs> You'll just be tired. You probably won't achieve anything. Influence is given by the grace of God, and not by our striving. Invite the Holy Spirit into your day. Right at the beginning of the day, invite him in. Say, what are you doing, God? And number five, let's share our stories. Testimony builds faith. It's so, so important for us to share. Um, even the things that we think are a bit insignificant, they build us up. It helps to create a culture of expectation. Um, even the things that we think, I really didn't do that very well, or I tried that and I fell on my face. Let's share those too. Let's be a community together that shares our stories. The faith is it's like a muscle, isn't it? We need to move it to grow. But finally, just as I was preparing this, I felt God wants to speak to those in a couple of different areas. Firstly, those who would say, I have no influence at all or I have no right to have any influence. Maybe you're saying, no, not me. I'm shy, I'm not special. Nobody follows me. God will say to you, you may be small, but he's big. He raises up the humble. And he wants to lead you gently to start thinking about where he created you to be and to have influence for his kingdom. Not because you're great, but because he's great. And he's got plans and his salvation plan works through you guys, the church, you and me. There was a thing on Bill's slide earlier on, the gospel. There's, it works and there's no plan B. Brilliant. Really good. So secondly, those who might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know me. You feel like you've a track record of influencing people, but you've influenced them in the wrong direction. I've caused damage, I've caused hurt. And God would say to you that failure, shame and disqualification have no place. That he loves you, he's got a plan and a purpose for you. And you just need to come back to him. So if you, if you want to respond to either of those, I'd love to speak to you or pray with you later on. That'd be great, just grab me before we go. I'm just going to pray as we finish.
Father God, we thank you so much that your plans are the best plans. We thank you that that you bring influence in extraordinary, unusual ways in ordinary situations. We just pray, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us to be alert to what you're doing, where we are? Help us recognise that we have influence and help us use it for you. Pray that you would help us to not try to engineer stuff, try to force stuff, try to strive, but simply to be full of your spirit and respond to your leading. In Jesus' name.